Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world. Hello and welcome to The Drinking Hour from Food FM with me, David Kermode, episode 62. And this week we mark Chenin Blanc Day. We'll take a deep dive into this deliciously versatile grape, travelling to South Africa to hear what makes it special and why old vines are so important. We'll talk to Richard Duckett, winemaker at Bellingham, who knows old vine Chenin better than most. Plus, later on, we'll learn more about the country's groundbreaking old vine project and its unique heritage vine seal with Andre Morgenthal. Plus, news of the medal winners from the IWSC judging held in South Africa last week. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. Its origins are in the Loire, but South Africa has more Chenin Blanc vines planted than the rest of the world combined. So just as Malbec is the grape of Argentina, in most people's minds at least, even though it hails from Bordeaux, so Chenin must surely be the white grape of South Africa. It is incredibly well suited to the country, heat resistant for global warming and the constant threat of drought, incredibly versatile, and its old vine iterations have earned a special place in the hearts of wine lovers the world over. It is Chenin Blanc Day, so what better way to celebrate than to talk to a man who knows it more intimately than most, uh, Richard Duckett, the winemaker at Bellingham estate. Uh, Richard, uh, you join us uh, from, I think, the Franschuk Valley. Uh, Beautiful there. Uh, Welcome to the drinking hour. Thanks, David. Good to be here. Well, it's lovely to have you. And we're going to come to your own uh, personal wine journey uh, a little later, because I'm interested in that uh, too. But as it's uh, Chenin Blanc Day, uh, we should give it um, sort of top billing, I suppose. Tell us why we should give Chenin top billing. What makes it so special? Oh, geez. Yeah, that's a long, long list of things that I can carry on for hours, actually. Yeah, Shannon is without a doubt my, my favorite drinking grape varietal. And, and because it's so versatile, I mean, as you said, we have all these different styles. You know, you have a lighter style for a lighter day and for a warm day, and you have a more rich, hearty style, you know, for a good meal. And what I like about Shannon particularly is it, it's got a freshness, it's got a crispness, it's, it's got a fruit sweetness, and it's got balance about it. It, it. The balance is probably the most important about that. Yeah. But you know, some people drink Sauvignon because they love the, the crisp and fruitiness, and other people drink big Chardonnays because they love the richness. Now, to be honest, I think Shannon has got all of those put together. And, you know, that for me, it, it just hits every occasion, every market, every meal type even. Um, yeah, so... So, yeah, I love Shen and, and um, yeah, but it's also just because it's a, you can't be so drinkable, you know, it, it, and that's what wine's all about. You want to be able to drink it and you want to enjoy it. And I think Shen for me really is one of those really just enjoyable grape varietals. 
And, you know, at least from a South African perspective, it, it's so well suited to, to, to South Africa, you know. So, so yeah, it, it's perfect. You know, we all love Pinotage and be very proud of Pinotage from South Africa, man, as you mentioned. And um, Shannon, for me, it, it's got the legacy, it's got the history, and it's got the, you know, the age of it as well. And, and, and it's, it's come for many, many, many years in this country. So, mm. yeah. so tell us why it is so well suited to South Africa then. As most grape varietals have sort of genetic your know, characteristics, Shenan is just genetically, it, it expresses itself well within our climate, our soil type. And I suppose also because it's been here for so many years, you know, with time, you know, they tend to mutate and they adapt also to its climate and to the soils as well. So I think the time definitely played a role there as well. Yeah, but you know, some varietals are, are just suited to to warmer climates in some cases, and, and then again others to drier climates. And Shenan is just one of those really diverse grape varietals, and I assume it's genetically, uh, you know, because of its genetics, that you know, that it is is like this. It's just well adapted. It, it seems to weather you know, you know these sort of climate conditions very well. It, it handles drought amazingly well, and some of our best wines often come out of the dry years. It just seems to be affected less by that. Mm. It's interesting because it comes from the Loire, which is, you know, a cool climate uh, region to a, a great extent. Um, and yet um, it seems to thrive. You know, I was in the Svartland last week and it's so dry there, even in, in winter. And you've got these bush vines that are looking, you know, still, even though they're they're going into their sort of dormant period, you know, really healthy. It's amazing, really, that it's that adaptable, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. The Shannon Blancs, yeah, we've got some cool climate, your Shannons as well. We've got some from the Cape Town region, which are quite close to the ocean, you know, the ocean winds, which is a really cool site. And they do exceptionally well within the cool climates as well. So, so our cooler sites for me is probably maybe yeah probably a little bit more towards the Lua style, you know, with the green apple uh, um, fruit, maybe a hint of tropical note to that, um, you, you know, crisp acidity as well. But the warmer sites, you know, this and stylistically they are just a little bit different. It starts to express itself more okay towards the stone fruit spectrum, you know, a lot of peach, apricot, sort of riper you know, riper spectrum of fruit, but still with a freshness and a minerality behind it. Okay, the citrus notes can also start coming out more, you know, within the warmer areas. It's just an amazing grape varietal because it grows well in both of those different terroir climates, you know, from cool to warm. They're both good, but they're different, I mean, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does make sense. And I was really struck by this last week. I was in Paul judging uh, for, for the IWS with some local specialists as well. And uh, obviously, what, there was a lot of Chenin. And the diversity of Chenin Blanc just within South Africa's region. So we're talking about one wine producing country. The diversity of Chenin Blanc within that country is quite incredible, isn't it? No, for sure. You look, man, within our climate there, when you find Cabernets will be well suited to certain sites and you find the Merlots grow better in these sites. But Chenin just, it just grows well everywhere. Man, as I said, it just expresses itself very differently. But yeah, it is an amazingly diverse grape variety. And I think that's its advantage, actually, within our climate. You know, the, yeah, our Chenin Blanc Association now I mean, is busy with a project where on the back label, um, some producers are going to start specifying the style because it can be quite confusing as well. You know, you have from light and free, basically all the way up to these rich oak styles. Yeah. So on the back label, yeah, I think a lot of producers will start actually specifying that there's a, a, a graph, basically. Okay, maybe not a graph. It's a... It, it's a um, a gauge basically where it where you can 
sort of spec your wine. So it can be from the, the fruity version, fresh, fruity, and rich. Yeah, so it can fall anywhere within that sort of spectrum. Yeah, and I think that's also a good guide to consumers, you know, to be able to know what they're drinking, basically what they're buying from the shelf. Yeah, and no, it's a very good idea. You made a really good point there about its versatility and appeal to those who perhaps either don't like Sauvignon so much or don't like Chardonnay so much. It really is a, a bit of an all-rounder, isn't it, in terms of its appeal? Uh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Okay, look, it's got yeah, some Sauvignon characteristics, but it's also got some Chardonnay characteristics as well. Yeah, but for me, is the balance, the balance of the wine is what really makes it appealing for me, you know. And Shannon's also got a fruit sweetness. It's not a natural, like a sugar sweetness. It's a fruit sweetness on the palate, which really just makes it a, a, an incredibly friendly glass of wine. It just, it just improves the drinkability of the wine for me. Yeah. So you can end up drinking a glass, you can end up drinking a bottle, and you're going to enjoy every, you know, every sip of it. Um, you know, that for me is the appealing part about Shannon. As a winemaker, what's it like to work with? With Shannon? Oh, mm. no. <laughs> Man, I love Shannon. <laughs> Man, as I mentioned earlier on, what I like about making our Shannon, we've got different vineyards. And we just spoke about the diversity of Shannon. And um, our vineyards are also situated in, in different regions. And we do that purposely because the different regions man, give you different characteristics. And that's what I love. You know, I love experimenting. I love trying new things. And I love, you know, different components and building blocks and blending and that's the real fun part for me within the winemaking part of it. So, so we have these different vineyards. We also make them a little bit differently. You know, have them in different vessels. You know, they, they would ferment from barrels to concrete to amphora and, and, um, and fudra, you know, large, large format barrels. And, that, and being the same grape varietal, even from the same vineyard, just fermented in a different uh, um, a vessel, it expresses itself differently as well. You know, they're all natural ferment as well. So... So yeah, they you know, they're all just different, and 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 for me, that's what I really love. You know, if it was Sauvignon, they would all all be very similar stylistically. They would be similar, which okay, which I find a bit boring. You know, this is this is truly it's exciting because it it it's all different, and you have all these little little things to play with, if that makes sense. You know, mm. it, it's like walking into your kitchen and you have this pantry with all these different spices and you I mean, you just have this open playing field where you can just play around and a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And yeah, so that's the best part for me about Chin. And really it you know, sort of gives, I mean, gives me that open pantry sort of feel in the winery. Yeah, it gives the winemaker lots of fun to be had. Um, you love old vine, Chenin Blanc, most especially. Um, and as I referenced in the intro, uh, old vine Chenin from South Africa is uh, has a special place in the hearts of so many wine lovers. What is there uh, that's particular about old vine Chenin that makes it so special? Yeah, so our our best vineyards, without a doubt, will be the old vineyards, and the old vineyards are are something really special for us. You, you know, we sort of uh, um, sort of rejoice in them. At least we we try our absolute best to keep them in the ground. We do them as well as possible, but. But, you know, they just do their thing. You know, they go from year to year, they do their thing. They handle the drought better. You know, different climate conditions, it's more, more consistent. Yeah. But I do think the main, the main advantage with old vineyards, you know, it, it's got a smaller crop yield, okay? Um, so we average between three to, to six tons, I suppose, where the younger vineyards can go up to 10 or 12 tons in some areas. Then with that, you also get a slightly more, more elevated acidity, 
but the grapes are also more mature at a lower sugar level, which means you can harvest them at the right uh, 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 phenolic ripeness. But they still, uh, with a lower alcohol, yeah, but they still have a, a lot of concentration and at the same time. Yeah. So that's an important part for me. You want to harvest them at the right time, you, you know, which will, for us will generally be a little bit earlier. But you need the concentration to back it up as well. And old vineyards just always have amazing concentration. They have good acidity level. They're just more mature uh, 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 with that. The wines are just more mature, you know. They, you know, they richer, the acidity again is better. A lot of that would also be because of the smaller crop yield. But anyway, we had an interesting presentation the other day where Professor actually spoke about the genetics of the old vineyards. And it's actually quite interesting because the old vineyards express themselves genetically very different to what the younger vineyards do. Yeah. So, that, so yeah, so it's not just because it's older, it, it's genetics actually change, but with time, the way it, 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 its genes express expresses itself within the fruit will change with time and then there's also proof you know as they seem to adapt that they do do mutate you're basically as it gets older you will find small mutations within the vine you know where it helps adapt itself to that climate yeah so so each old vineyard with us you know will be really well suited and it really expresses its terroir better for that matter you know so when we do harvest it and we have a, a, a vineyard from cape town or a vineyard from Stellenbosch, it, it really is a, is, a, is, a, you know, is a true reflection of that terroir at that particular vintage and time. I hear quite often, particularly with reference to Shenin, actually, that uh, the old vines are, are, are capable of achieving that um, phenolic ripeness a little earlier, which is very handy. To someone who's listening who loves wine, uh, but doesn't actually necessarily make wine and therefore doesn't know quite what that means, just, just try and explain for us what you kind of mean by that Phenolic ripeness, phenolic and, and, ripeness. Why it's, and why it's important. Okay, well, look, phenolic ripeness is probably more a term that you use, you know, use for red. You're basically for red, you know, for red grape varietals, but we also use it for whites. Okay, so so just to give an example, there's a point when as it ripens, you know, as, as grapes ripen, the sugar level will increase and your acidity level will decrease. Okay. You're basically as it ripens, which is natural, you know, all fruit will do a similar sort of thing. And, and your fruit profile will also change within that, that um, sort of ripening period. But there's, a, there's a, a sweet spot. But you're basically where the balance is just perfect. The fruit is, is spot on. The acidity is spot on. The, you know, the sugar level is also spot on. And then when everything comes together, and that is sort of when we talk about phenolic ripeness, you know, basically phenolic ripeness also talks about for red, you know, when your tannin will be, you will be ripe. Because if you harvest it before then, your tannin is going to be green, you know, might be aggressive, and you harvest it, harvest it too late again, you know, then it gives you sort of porty, jammy characteristics. But within our, our, our climate, and I suppose this is within all sort of wine-growing regions, your, you know, if you harvest earlier, your acidity will be higher, right? But your sugar level will be lower, and your sugar level is, as it's fermented, will be converted into alcohol. So, so the earlier you harvest, the lower your alcohol, but the higher your acidity. But with that, the wines will also be a little bit thinner. They will be a little bit more watery. But then, but if you then go a touch riper, your alcohol level is a little bit a, a little bit higher. Your acidity a little bit lower, but the wines will be a little bit fuller. Yeah, so the guys that are going for full-bodied, rich wines will harvest riper. The guys that are going for, for the earlier, sort of, you know, lighter, fruitier styles will generally harvest a little bit earlier. But there's an actual sweet spot for that particular vineyard and for that terroir 
there will be a sweet spot. And that is what we basically call the phenolic ripeness. It can be quite technical and it can be quite a long, long explanation. But what I just wanted to say quickly about the old vines with that, right? Yeah. So the younger vineyards will generally harvest a little bit riper because we're looking for a certain amount, uh, yeah, a certain amount of palate weight and richness, right? So we harvest a little bit riper. Okay, so let's say, for instance, the Chenin will have a 14 alcohol because we're looking for a certain style and body. That, that same sort of vineyard in 30 years' time, I mean, you'll be able to harvest it with an alcohol of 13% or 12.5%, and you're going to have the same body and structure with that, with a little bit more acidity and the same amount of richness and fullness and concentration to the wine, but just at a much lower alcohol level. So, yeah, that's the advantage for sure. With an old vineyard, definitely plays a massive role with that. Brilliant. That's like a mini masterclass uh, uh, on the drinking hour. <laughs> yeah, Thank you very much. That. No, that's great. It's, it's a really, really good, really comprehensive and very useful answer to those uh, listening uh, uh, who want who want to know a little bit more about uh, what goes into their glass. Talking about what's in the glass, how are we going to, as a consumer, how are we going to taste an old vine? What difference is it going to make to the end product? That is actually a very difficult question because personally, I think a lot of people won't pick up that much of a difference because you do find younger vineyards also that produce amazing quality wines, you know, that, uh, you know, which is also a fact and you have different winemaking techniques as well. But I think the old vineyards just in general will have more concentration. Yeah. So if you find a wine with more concentration, the alcohol level might be a touch lower, um, good fresh acidity and brilliant balance. I mean, I think that's a hallmark of the old vineyard. And uh, that's certainly uh, on show in your uh, Bernard series, Old Vine Chenin Blanc, which um, I've uh, been fortunate enough to taste um, just this morning, actually, but also, um, as it happens, last week, because I was on the judging panel. We judge blind, of course, so we don't know what we're judging, but it turns out, because I've seen the results now you've got a silver medal congratulations a strong oh, okay. silver for Thank this you. this particular wine uh, from the panel i was on and um uh, uh, it was uh, you know a, a really excellent wine in fact you you came out with eight uh, yes eight medals across the board um including some strong uh, silver medals as well and Great. south africa generally performing really strongly across the board so suggesting i think your industry despite having had a very challenging time with alcohol restrictions during covid and obviously drought conditions as well in recent years the industry would appear by the results at least to be in pretty good health in terms of its performance yeah i i do think so as well you, you, you know COVID, you definitely hit hit everyone hard man as i'm sure it did the the restaurant trade as well and your many many at least man, your other industries as well but COVID definitely made us stronger eh? And I think people often forget that, you know, you, you know, you work through, through the tough times, you know, just to come out stronger at the end. And I think that's also where, at, at least where the South African industry is at the moment. You know, sometimes also helps weed out sort of, you know, the lesser, uh, at least the lesser quality products as well, maybe, you know, I think that also plays a role. Yeah, but for us, it definitely made us stronger. You know, we, we're more focused, we're more, more challenged, you know, we, we, you know, we're working harder, at least to be, to do better. And I think that's a huge plus point, you know. Um, our vineyards have always been amazing. They're good, they're old vineyards. Uh, um, yeah, but I think, you know, from us, from marketing to winemaking, we're just a lot more focused and we're just doing it better and more efficiently, I suppose. Tell us a bit more about your vineyards and about Bellingham, because um, it was founded in 
I think 1690. I'm guessing that was a as, as a farmstead, but um, I think there were grapes planted way back then as well, weren't there? Yeah, the yeah the farm itself was a, a yeah basically Dutch owned. It was called Billingkamp. Uh, yeah, back then it it went through different sort of growing uh, uh, at least farming uh, um, yeah at least practices. It had vineyards on at some point, and then it became a very big citrus farm, and then vineyards again, and various other crops as well. But Bellingham as a brand really started in the forties when a guy called Bernard Bernard Podlaschik and, and his wife Frieda bought the property. They didn't know much about winemaking at the time, and they went on a, a, on a tour around France and Germany. They spent, I think, two years in France and Germany traveling around, uh, traveling, learning how to make wine. And then they came back, replanted the whole farm, and then they really sort of started making wine on a big, big way, basically, in the industry. And because of the experience from overseas, at, at the time, they started many firsts within the country. You know, the, the, you know, the South African wine industry was very sort of conservative men at that time. And um, and the whites were all sweet. And and Bernard came and he produced the first dry style rosé, you know, and and basically the first rosé for that matter. They weren't roses out. He, you know, he produced some of the first dry whites out there. And he planted and bottled the first Shiraz for that matter. Shiraz wasn't known in the country at that time. So yeah, yeah the first bottled Shiraz. So, so, so yeah, really took the country by storm. Man, very innovative guy. So, so Bellingham has a long history from a farm perspective, but the brand, the wines themselves, you basically date back to the 40s and 50s when Bernard really started it, started it and put it on the map at least. And that rosé you mentioned, um, it was something like, I think, 1951 or something that he created that, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, I think, 1952, actually. Okay. Yeah, I might be wrong with that, but it, yeah, but it is the 50s, yeah. yeah it was Incredible, 50s. really. Yeah, and the Fischeras as well, you know. And Shiraz today man, is one of our biggest, biggest grape mm. varietals in South Africa as well. You know, really popular, you know, serving is well known. And to be the first one but out there is also like a feather in the cap, you know, for us, if that makes sense. So, so yeah, we're proud of those facts. I mentioned the Bernard series uh, wine um, earlier on, uh, the old vine, Shenin. Uh, your Bernard series is obviously named in his honor, I'm guessing. And, and then you have a, a Frida wine as well, I think, don't you? Yes, we've got a Frida. Yeah, basically within the the Founder series, which is a little bit above the Bernard series, we've got a Frida, and a Frida, a pod, and then a rosé, which is called the QC rosé, which stands for quintessential couple rosé. So basically all three is basically a tribute to our founders, which will be Bernard and Frida Podlaschuk. And just tell us a bit about where you are as well. Some People listening will be um, familiar with the the, the Cape and uh, the, the wine journeys that you can make there. Others will so tell us a bit about the Franschhoek Valley. So Franschhoek is a, a small town in in South Africa. It's 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 a a very well known tourist destination. You're very well known for its food and wines as well. Okay, so the farm is a little bit outside of Bellingham. Not the vineyards don't actually, well, some of the vineyards come from Franschhoek, but we've got vineyards from all over the place. You know, with old, you know, with old vines, you go out and you source a vineyard, which is really well suited to that, to that particular area. So yeah, so, so some of our old vineyards will be from Cape Town and from Stellenbosch and various other areas as well. But the farm is, is situated in Franschhoek. Our wine tasting is in Franschhoek. And we're obviously very proud of Franschhoek because that's where Frieda and Bernard came from originally. Well, we didn't come from, there, come from there originally, but they settled there and lived there. So, so yeah, we're very uh, uh, you're passionate about, about Franschhoek as well. 
it's a very beautiful place as well. So you're very uh, lucky, very fortunate to, uh, to to be there. Tell us a bit about your own journey into wine. Um, I was uh, doing my homework and uh, I was amused to see that you, um, you, you experimented um, as a child with fermenting things and also a bit of distillation <laughs> as well, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, that story man always seems to come up. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I I I love experimenting with things. You know, you can ask my father and 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 yeah and family. Yeah, they all know me like that. So so I was distilling. Well, I started fermenting um, some fruit out of the garden, basically, which you know just playing around. You know, as a kid, and um, and then built a, a a still. Okay, we used to have an old your know, pot still on the farm. My yeah, my grandfather used to distill brandy at some point. So yeah, so he's distiller. The you know, the top of the the top of Easter is still yeah, but the bottom, the actual pot part, was rusted away and and went for scrap by scrap metal, I assume. Yeah, so I fished out an old copper geyser out the loft and 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 I converted this thing into a a still. We are with the element in it. You borrowed a thermometer from school and and yeah, so you did a whole bunch of the dist- of distilling. So I had some bottles there, which will in, essentially be called moonshine, I suppose. So we call it Mampuria, which because it was made from fruit at that point. But my father actually told me the, the real story the other day. He said we were sitting there having lunch and there was a bottle of whiskey in his sort of display cupboard. And I was reading the front and then I said, yeah, then I asked him, but double distilled, what does that mean? And then he said, you know, it's, it's actually distilled a second time to make it better quality. And then I was just apparently quiet for a bit. And then he said, like later that day, he, I, he, he walked into the kitchen and I was busy distilling. I fished out a, a um, it was actually a, um, I mean, he said it was a paraffin cooker. It was a glass cooker, but it had all these like sort of pressure gauges on it with a thermometer on it. And it had certain pipes on the top where I could connect a, 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 a sort of a condenser pipe to, and I had that running through a bucket of water, basically. So I was you know, double distilling on the gas stove using a glass. And as he walked in there, this thing exploded. And um, there were these, you could just imagine these alcohol fumes ignited and it was just rolling flames coming out the kitchen. So I, yeah, I think I lost a few eyebrows in the process, but my father happened to manage to grab the fire extinguisher and put the fire out. So yeah, I nearly burnt the house down distilling. So yeah, which is quite a funny story, but quite a quite a um, yeah, 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 quite hectic at the time as well. You know, you know, I <laughs> I found memories of distilling, but yeah, that was sort of the, the moment yeah, where I got into a lot of trouble. Yeah, but yeah, since perhaps, then, I was going to say, perhaps it was better you went into wine than spirits. Then, yeah, 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 uh, on, yeah for on balance, sure. for sure. <laughs> so for how did sure. you get into wine then? You know, man, as I said, I've always loved experimenting with things. Grew up on a farm. Um, yeah, my parents and my brother are still here. So I love the outdoors. Man, I love nature. Yeah, I do love farming. But I love the experimenting and the playing and the tasting as well. You know, I love cooking as well. So this was just sort of a natural progression for me. And, and I did go for aptitude tests. Yeah, my mother sent me for yeah, for these aptitude tests with a psychologist. And the two options there that she put yeah, quite strongly, it was very strongly yeah, came out of the test, was either a game ranger or a um, or a winemaker, and I think winemaking has just always sort of sort of come natural to me. You know, after burning almost burning the house down, it it, it just made sense for me. You know, and um, yeah, and yeah, I do love my job. I I, I, yeah, I love working with these old vineyards and with Shannon especially. I I just yeah, you know, it, it really is part of what I do and what I love. Mm. So, and what is your 
winemaking philosophy? You know, my philosophy has probably changed a little bit over the years. But now, and as I'm getting older, you, you know, this is becoming more and more obvious to me. The, the, my philosophy is, you know, it, it, it comes from the vineyard. You know, winemaker men should do as 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 minimal a, 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 a sort of an intervening as possible. It just it needs to do its thing. So you you know we only do natural fermentations. We harvest at at the correct ripeness, not overripe. You're not underripe. We harvest at the correct ripeness. You you don't want to kill it with oak. It, it needs to be, it needs to come from the vineyard and from the terroir. And, and that that is the absolute crucial part behind the whole winemaking with us. It's changed over the years. You know, I, yeah, I'm a natural fiddler. I, I love fiddling with everything. and I, 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 It's actually quite difficult sometimes to just stand back and, and not do anything. You know? It, you know, you must just leave it. It needs to do its thing. And that is always better than you trying to fiddle with it, you know? You, you know, sometimes with cooking, if you add too much spice or, mm-hmm. you, 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 you know, it at least kills the food. And why making exactly the same thing? You know, the, you know, the terroir needs to express itself and the vineyard needs to express itself. Good answer. Uh, you mentioned you love cooking and the Bellingham uh, website has various of your uh, recipes on. It's quite rare, actually, to uh, to find a winemaker offering up uh, recipes on the on the kind of company <laughs> website. It's a rather neat uh, touch, I thought, but um, got some delicious stuff there as well. What do you like cooking and, and what do you like pairing with Chenin Blanc? Wow. OK. Um, well, my cooking recently... Probably it's changed a little bit because I'm making child-friendly meals at the moment. Yeah, for me, I, yeah, I love cooking all kinds of different things. I love meat, but I do love, like veggies as well. Yeah, I'm not a fine dining yeah, sort of a person. I, yeah, I like making sort of wholesome, uh, uh, um, just brilliant meals that are just flavorful. You know, the, yeah, you know that's what I like. I do like also experimenting with different things. So, so you, you know, often, but I'd never cook the same thing really. Well, there are a few regulars, but the majority of the things that I do cook will be something completely different. So I love cooking out new things. I don't really look at recipes. I, well, I, I do sometimes, but just to get an idea of how they make it, but then I do my own thing completely. So I, I like creating new foods or, or, you know, different flavors and that sort of thing. You know, that's what I'm, you know, probably good at as well, is sort of experimenting with different things. And they're always good. Well, my, yeah, my wife might disagree with that, but personally, I like them all. But yeah, that's what I like cooking, really. And what about the pairing? What do you think goes really well with Chenin Blanc? I know it's a difficult question because there are so many different styles of Chenin Blanc. It depends which Chenin you've got, I suppose. But as a rule, if you were going to um, recommend something to go with a uh, one of your Chenin Blancs, let, let's say the Old Vine uh, Bernard series, um, what what might you cook to go with that? Yeah, you know, Shannon's actually got a very easy varietal to pair. It it's a yeah for me, man. I do yeah quite a lot of fishing and diving and that sort of thing. So so with me, it's a natural progression towards seafood, I guess. I love bream. Yeah, I catch a lot of bream. So bream from bream to snook to yellowtail, it 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 works incredibly well with those. From barbecued to fried, um, yes, you know, sometimes with a creamy sauce, it, it works with all of those. The Bernard Shannon especially because it's got some oak on it as well. Yeah, that oak richness works incredibly well with like the richest sort of seafood dishes with you know, with butter and, uh, you know, sometimes with garlic and those sorts of really powerful, uh, 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 you know, flavor ingredients. The Shannon works very well with that. Yeah but, I, yeah, but I have to say the one other thing that I also really like it with 
nowadays are, are curries. And I love cooking curry. You know, I, yeah, I've spent a bit of time in the UK. My best food in the entire world is a curry from the UK. Um, yeah, I'm not sure how that compares to Indian curries, but the, the UK curries are the best in the world. And every time I've been there, I come home with a suitcase full of spices. And, um, and I've tried literally thousands of times, but I can't quite get it to taste like some of those curry houses from, yeah, from the UK. So, so yeah, I just wanted to say that as well. But the one wine that I do find actually pairs quite well with the curry is actually a good chin. So yeah, because it's got a fruit sweetness, it, it works with a little bit of spice. It mustn't be like a vindaloo type curry, but sort of the, the you know, the milder, like a button chicken or a, or, or a, um, or a tandoori, you, you know, some of those, even tomato based curries. It works incredibly well with that. The sweetness of the, the fruit sweetness of the wine works, works with, with that for sure. Mm. Well, that's a very good idea. And uh, those spicy dishes can be quite challenging to pair sometimes anyway. So that's um, definitely something I'm going to uh, to try. Not for the first time. An addition of the drinking hour has made me feel extremely hungry. Uh, so um, thank you uh, so much uh, for, for that and, uh, and for uh, sharing your passion for uh Chenin Blanc Richard uh, it's glad uh, it's great to hear that um you know that uh, South Africa's uh, picked itself up and is doing so well sort of post uh, pandemic with its winemaking uh so good luck and thanks for joining us on the drinking hour yeah thank you David anyway good chatting to you and hope to see you again you know, soon when you come to South Africa again oh for sure the drinking hour on food fm you're listening to the drinking hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world. Well, the IWSC held its South African wine judging sessions in the country last week, as I uh, referenced earlier on in that uh, chat with Richard. Uh, we held the judging at uh, Diamant Estate near Paul. Uh, and it was overseen by Alistair Cooper, Master of Wine, guest on this programme from time to time. And I was privileged enough to be uh, one of the panel chairs for the judging. We were joined by uh, some eminent uh, local judges as well. And we have the first results uh, from our deliberations. They were published this week. In all, uh, 28 gold medals were awarded, putting South Africa at the top of the gold medal table. Uh, it's a bit like the Olympics, this. Uh, there are a selection of those gold medal winners um, that uh, we can feature today. I've just taken the top scoring golds because uh, we can't really do 28, but you can see all 28 if you go on to uh, the IWSC's website. And let's start uh, with a famous name, Cannon Cop Estate, Cabernet Sauvignon 2005, a gold medal winner with a whopping 97 points. Uh, the judging panel led in this case uh, by Beth Kelly, MW, uh, buying manager at Majestic Wine, uh, says this, at serious evolution to the nose, palette of dried and fresh fruit and strong earthy notes, tannins firm and ripe with clear potential for further aging, evolved and integrated with obvious pedigree. Uh, it was a delicious wine. Uh, another 97-point gold was from another great name, the wonderful uh, Vergelagen Estate. Uh, Vergelagen GVB Red 2015. Uh, this is a, a Bordeaux blend uh, of Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc and Merlot. Uh, the panel, uh, again chaired by Beth, uh, said firm structure and medium body with good freshness and fine tannins. Red and black berries dominate the palate with undertones of cedar, vanilla and oak spice. Uh, the fruit is full and beautifully developed, layered and elegant. 
And here's our third 97-pointer, uh, obviously another gold, uh, Richard Kershaw, uh, GPS series, Sauvignon Blanc Semillon 2020, so um, uh, a white Bordeaux blend. Uh, the panel here, led by uh, Victoria Mason, um, a uh, year two MW student and uh, buyer at Waitrose, uh, said this, uh, a magnificent sensuous wine bursting with gorgeous notes of cool vanilla, lemon curd, poached guava, zesty citrus, juicy mango, succulent and rich apricot yogurt. Oh, my goodness. Uh, the finish is elegantly smooth with a delectable hint of oak and fresh lemon pith. And uh, I was lucky enough to taste that wine uh, after the judging sessions. Absolutely uh, delicious. A, a worthy uh, 97 points. Uh, we'll have some more of those gold medal winners shortly. But first, away from the judging, let's hear a little more, as promised, about that groundbreaking old vine project in South Africa. Because thanks to planting data, uh, the wines actually carry a certificate uh, on the seal at the top, on the neck of the bottle, uh, which... Uh, is a mark of old vine authenticity. It's uh, a really uh, unusual, unique, I think, in the world uh, way of, uh, of doing this. Um, Andre Morgenthal is the, the project manager, and he told me more about it. It actually started almost 20 years ago when Rosa Kruger started looking for old vines uh, on her own. She was just very interested in why these old vine wines are so interesting, and people call it... It's, it's, it's complex and it's got structure and intellectually challenging and what makes a difference. So that's, that's where it started. And we're about to turn six years old in August. And for those listening who don't know Rosa Kruger, that name, obviously a very famous name in South Africa um, and a, a wine legend. But just tell us, um, for those who don't know Rosa Kruger the, uh, about that name and what it means. Yeah, Rosa started off in her in her professional life as a lawyer and a journalist in Johannesburg, and she got tired of 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 that lifestyle. Moved down to the Cape, started working on farms, which fruit farms, apple farms in Elgin, and then she became interested in vineyards. And she self-taught, um, got involved with um, you know talking to professors from University of Stellenbosch. And uh, she's just got a passion for, for vineyards and, 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 and for vineyard workers and what happens um, in the underbelly of um, our wine industry. So, and then, of course, the old vine thing is her passion. And we'll come back to the old vine uh, project in a second, but, but actually it's worth remarking on just how critical wine is to livelihoods. Uh, in South Africa, isn't it? Exactly. Um, we've got um, so many people that's relying on the South African wine industry for their livelihood, as you said. And um, when we pull out old vines, we, we're pulling out livelihood, not just our viticultural heritage, but we're losing maybe you know our workforce um, in a certain way, not directly, but indirectly. So what we're trying to do is save our old vines and also um, plant to grow old so we can have a sustainable model of viticulture in South Africa with our vineyards that will help keep our vineyards and our vineyard workers and our growers in business. As a wine lover, uh, how will I notice an old vine? What difference does it make? Across the world, it says, you know, old vine or Levevin or Altenreben, whatever country you are on the label. But there's no 
standard. And what we've done is we've set the standard at 35 years and older. So it says old vine on the label, but what makes, what differentiates our old vines in South Africa is the Certified Heritage Vineyard Seal. And where that seal is on our bottle, it communicates and guarantees to the consumer authenticity, traceability, um, exclusivity, and the fact that that, and the planting date is on the seal of that vineyard. So the consumer knows that wine is made from a vineyard planted in 19. 74 or whatever it is. Now, planting dates go back to 1900. We've got a unique system in South Africa. Um, our industry body called Salvis, it's got planting dates dating back to 1900. Nobody else has got that. And that has found itself on the seal because you have that information. Exactly. That is really groundbreaking in terms of um, the consumer knowing that there's an old vine behind the wine, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's not just a romantic story. This is fact. It's not fiction. And you know that you're actually dealing with something that's got to do with heritage. And you're contributing to um, our environment. We are looking at, uh, you know, we're facing climate change. We're, we're learning through research why those vineyards have been surviving there for 50, 100 200 years in one spot um, but we're also looking after our people to, 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 to as I said earlier to keep our growers in business and our, and our farm workers and that's why we also give back in the sense of um, our training program we have uh, old vine pruning courses that we run every winter before pruning starts we did our first one last week and uh, we, 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 we upskill our workforce in the vineyards that it's not just pruning a vineyard, it's actually creating and sculpting vineyards to produce the best grapes in the world, to produce the best wines, to up, to enhance the South African wine industry's image. When you're pruning an old vine, why would that be, forgive the ignorance of this question, but why would that be a, a, a particular skill compared to generally pruning a vine? It, it's interesting. I always use an analogy that if you if you work with uh, if you're dealing with school kids, high school kids, stand in line. That's what you're going to do now. It's all the same. Old vines is dealing with an old age home. Um, the pillbox at six o'clock in the evening looks different for each room. Each person has endured for 60, 80, 100 years a different environment, and you have to look at that vine. Separate. We're not pruning anymore, we're sculpting. And you have to work towards the new wood to strengthen that vine. Um, and the bottom line of that is a commercial matter. So let's say uh, that block yields half a ton a hectare. Um, we have, and Rusa has um, brought vineyards back from half a ton to five tons a hectare which is commercially more viable and also at the prices and the business model that we we developed between growers and brand owners, we've made it more sustainable in the long term. You mentioned climate change earlier and the relevance of old vines. And uh, I suppose uh, to use another analogy, you know, uh, when you get older, bits start to fall off. You know, you're not as fresh as you once were, all the rest of it. But actually, you have got experience. And in a way, an old vine uh, in its environment has a shed load of experience, doesn't it? Exactly. So through research 
Um, Universal Stellenbosch is helping us with that, um, looking at genetics, Professor Johan Berger uh, in particular. Um, the Schellenblank Association has started with this way before we started the Old Vine Project. And all of that combined, as one of the winemakers tonight said, it's like speaking to your grandmother. You know, it's wisdom. Keep quiet and just listen. And as a consumer, how are you going to notice an old vine in the glass? That's an interesting question. I think it came out through the tasting this evening as well. It's about complexity, texture, palate weight. And, and I want to say that we're not saying old vine, old vines make the best or great wines. I mean, another member of ours always says, uh, not all old people are nice. <laughs> it's, but when you have a great old vine wine in the glass, it is just different. And as I said, it's complex and it is intellectually stimulating and it's interesting. It's just a, a different a different experience. And, and, and great wines are made um, from young vines. I mean, we had at our tasting this evening the Gullis Wine Triangle wines from vineyards less than 20 years old. They are fantastic wines. And the, 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 the ageability of those wines from the, from the Gullis Wine Triangle, the Sauvignon Blanc, the Semio, um, it's just 10, 15 years easily. So it's just that the old vine wines as a category is just very special um, in it on its in its own um, uh, in its own ground. And you've kind of um, been ahead of the curve in South Africa on old vines to a very great extent, and certainly with that traceability of of planting dates, because you have that data, as you said. Um, are you working with um, other people around the world who are also uh, championing? old vines now yeah I, I actually had the privilege during the last provine not the most recent one this year the, the provine in i think was at 19 where i actually walked and i had meetings with um the spanish the portuguese uh, barossa wines of australia um, napa lodi um, chile mendoza and, and the, the agreement is that old vine is 35 years and older so we set that standard, as I said earlier. But there's an agreement that we're working together. And um, there are suddenly a rather, lot of noise around Old Vine the last couple of years on different levels, uh, commercially and in the media. So, yes, we are talking to do something together. You know, you mentioned that the traceability. Nobody else has got that. So the seal is unique to, to South Africa. We, we shaped the standard, we shaped the category and the conversation. But we, we, we love the noise that's being created w through everybody that's getting involved and we want to um, expand on that. Andre Morgenthal, project manager of South Africa's Old Vine Project. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world. Okay, there's just time to celebrate a few more winners from our South Africa judging sessions held in PAL last week. Uh, we have uh, some more gold medal winners. As I mentioned earlier, there were 28 in all, so we're not mentioning all of them, just the highest scores. Uh, but uh, do go uh, and look at all of the results on the IWSC's uh, website, iwsc.net. Uh, where better to start uh, than with uh, an old vine Chenin? Uh, Quest old vine Chenin Blanc. Uh, the panel here 
chaired by Beth Kelly MW, awarded it 96 points, describing the wine this way. Typical characteristics of baked lemon, melon zest, citrus, oats and honey, combining with rich oak, expressing a richly fruited and textured creamy complexity. On the palate shines the creamed pear, citrus fruit, lees integration, crisp acidity and stone fruited finish. So uh, a really uh, rounded and delicious uh, old vine shedding from uh, Quest. Next, uh, Pekinier's Kloof. Heirloom Red 2020. Uh, this is uh, effectively a Rhone blend. It's Shiraz, Grenache and Mouvert. Uh, won a gold with 96 points. The panel chaired by Master Sommelier uh, Matteo Montone. Uh, they said this. Uh, exceptional fruit aromas with juicy bramble berries and a savoury note from black pepper leading to a lovely fruit expression on the palate with refreshing acidity and integrated silky tannins. Full of flavour with a lingering finish. And to round off, here's uh, a wine you should uh, definitely look out for if you possibly can. Um, it's uh, a sweet wine. We tasted uh, some really fantastic examples. Um, there are so many in South Africa, but uh, this one won 96 points, getting it uh, a, a strong gold medal. Delheim Wines Edelspatz Betritus Riesling 2020. Uh, it's uh, full of kind of wonderful sumptuous uh, fruit and, and and beautiful texture and i can say that with uh, some authority because uh, in this case i was uh, chairing the individual panel uh, that uh, awarded the gold medal uh, for this particular wine so uh, do look out uh, for that a great way to uh, round off uh, my thanks uh, to uh, richard and also to andre uh, for their time uh, hope you enjoyed the chat uh, my thanks as well to my fellow judges who travelled with me um, and also our local specialists in South Africa last week. Um, you can find out uh, more about the process, how we spent our time outside the judging room uh, and a list of all of the winners at the IWSC.net, as I mentioned. Uh, for now, though, uh, thank you for listening. You can follow us at Food FM Radio on Instagram or Twitter. And I'm Mr Venusaurus on Instagram and Twitter. For now, though, it's goodbye. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com.